All right, check, Let's check. See. One, two, cool, cool, cool. Check, check, check. Cool, one, check. two, check. Cool, cool. Check, cool. Okay. All right. <laughs> What's up? Not much, man. What's up with you? Oh, you know, just hanging out. Uh, thankfully, not too hot today, so this won't be a, uh, a chamber of sweat, thankfully. <laughs> you know it will be. It will still be. You, live in, you live in a chamber of sweat. Yeah, my entire life is a chamber of sweat. <laughs> My life in the sweat chamber, the uh, the Evan story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my memoirs. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's not too bad though, which is good. Uh, I had the AC running for about forty minutes before we started, and that's yep. we'll hope that that lasts. It will a, not last a little while. Yeah, it'll last about ten minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's new? Uh, not much, you know. I uh, I did watch the Francis Ford Coppola film, The Conversation, this weekend. Okay. Amazing film. Yeah. Uh, and I, uh, I'm struggling to think if anybody has ever had a more goaded decade than Francis Ford Coppola's 70s. Because mm. he did The Godfather, The Conversation, Godfather Part 2, and Apocalypse Now. Which are like four all-time films. Yeah. But that's also, those are... Really, like, his biggest hits are all contained in that decade, too, but still very good. Yeah. My favorite Coppola is uh, is Nicholas Kim Coppola. Yeah, Nick Cage? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, yep. my, that's my Coppola. Yeah, the, uh, that's everybody's Coppola. Yeah. That's my everybody's favorite. That would be uh, actually a fun name for a movie. Like, that's my Coppola. That's my Coppola. Yeah. <laughs> um... Well, that's cool. I, I don't really have anything to add. I've seen Apocalypse Now and Godfather yep. 1. I, I don't think I've ever seen two. Um, I know that I I have, but it was so long ago, and I was probably like 13 or 14. Yeah. So not as like a fully developed thinking person. Oh, dude, you got to watch that shit. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of movies I'm supposed to watch, and I just... I don't have the bug like you do. I like a movie, yeah. but I just, I you know, I don't, uh, I don't get the same level of enjoyment out of just like plowing through classic flicks. I, I wish I yeah. did. Same with TV. I just, it doesn't, it doesn't grip me in my yeah. soul. Doesn't grip your soul. Not, not as like a. Your soul can't get any grip. <laughs> my, listen, man, my soul lacks torque. Okay. Um, no, yeah, just like as like a solitary pastime. Like I, I just usually find myself reading or like I'll play computer games or or yeah. you know something like that. Um, I don't sit and watch TV or movie. Like I like watching movies. Like when we'll sit and watch a movie, I have a good time. Yeah. Or like going to the movies is fun. So yeah. I'm not trying to say that I'm some like anti movie guy. Yeah, you're not taking the the brave anti movie stance. No, no, no. But I I just don't have the same. I'm sure this has come through. But Evans a, is a movie guy. Evans a big yeah. movie guy. I'm I'm like a moderate. He's a big to guy. Light. He's a big movie guy. <laughs> big movie guy. I'm like a moderate <laughs> to light movie guy. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot that I need to see. Yep. But you know, hey, what can you do? Yeah. This what is, can this you is, do? This is life. Yeah. <clears throat> um. So yeah, what what do we what do we what are we diving into today? You want to just right, want to yeah. start the show? I don't know if we've got anything else to do. Yeah, if we don't have any bants, then we don't need to uh, do any bants. No, for sure. No, I I don't. Okay, so <laughs> then let's uh, start the show. Okay.
Okay, so the show has started. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so today we are, uh, I'm uh, changing it up from, I think, what the majority of my uh, episodes lately have been about. We're talking the ancient mysteries. These are ancient mystery cults that dotted the, uh, the uh, landscape of the various Mediterranean civilizations. So, dear listener, if you will, please close your eyes. Even if you're driving, just throw it in cruise control. It's fine. No worries. And uh, just imagine this. You're walking down the streets and alleys of some ancient city, perhaps Athens or Rome or Ravenna. Okay. Somewhere in the Mediterranean, circa 200 BCE to 200 CE. Oh, oh man, what did I just step in? Yeah, oh, exactly. Is that, a, is that a, a bronze helmet filled with poop? <laughs> oh, yep. man. So as you walk, you are assaulted by various scents. Incense, food cooking, a chamber pot being tossed from just above your head. It is quite overbearing, but your nasty ancient ass is used to these types of smells. While walking, you come across many different temples, some of them devoted to these strange gods from distant lands, and some of strange gods from right outside the city. These come in all different forms, like Greek fertility goddesses, or Egyptian gods and goddesses devoted to restoration in the afterlife. Some of these cults are widespread, and some are secretive, and the meaning of the cult is not given until an initiate passes some rite. These are the ancient mysteries, strange cults and religions that dotted the cities of antiquity. Fuck yeah. Yeah. And then another chamber pot just gets tossed right above your it's, head again. It's mostly, it's, yeah, it's, it's all it's chamber all cha- pots. It's chamber pots all, all the way, way down. down. Yep, yeah, you can't <laughs> help it. I mean, I, that's the first thing I was thinking is like, okay, so I'm imagining I'm walking through the streets of Ravenna, and it's just, it's gotta be bad. I'm sure yeah. it's bad to be here. And yeah. you know, the the thing that just occurred to me is like, first of all, I feel like all of the streets in all those cities were always filled with puddles of yeah. stuff, right? There was yeah. always got there like puke and wine and pee and horse yeah. shit and people poop and, yeah. you know, all it's, the bad stuff. The leavings of the city. And yeah. then I'm thinking to myself, like, at best, you were wearing sandals. Yeah. And you know, like, that's the thing. Like, how lousy is it just to walk into your backyard in, like, a rainy day and you have flip-flops on and you're like, ooh, yeah. my feet are all slimy. Now imagine if instead of just, like, crisp, cool acid rain, it was, it was like, the leavings of a million people. All of, of your neighbors shit and piss and puke. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and just the splatter, man. Like, the yeah. hems of all your clothes would have been splattered with it. Yeah. It must have been so rancid. Dude, and everybody's teeth must have been all fucked up and oh, the covered breath. in, like, plaque and, like, calculus. I mean, we haven't even nailed down breath now, so yeah. I can't imagine <laughs> yeah. that, like... Can I tell you, speaking of breath, this is kind of an aside. Yeah. But, um, if I had thought of this, I guess I would have done this beforehand, but now it's relevant. So yeah. I work with a person yeah. who will be nameless for the purposes of this show. Um, yeah. I will not identify them in any way, because I'm about to fucking put them on blast and uh yeah so i was talking to this person at work and somebody was handing out lifesavers like peppermint spearmint whatever lifesavers which is a quality mint you know lifesavers are are good good mints whenever i'm offered one of those mints i take it you do and so um you know i take a lifesaver once having a lifesaver and this person walks up and and we're like hey person would you like a lifesaver and they're like no thank you and so naturally, you know, our suspicions are raised because it's like, that's not, mm, nobody says yeah. no to that. 
Yeah, everybody loves a life. Who doesn't want a mint? You know, yeah, especially their one mouth that's like quick. actually tasty and kind of mild. And you know, if somebody offered some sort of insane Altoid or something, I can see someone being turned off by the curiously strong nature of something like that. Yep. But so we we all have there's no they refuse the lifesaver, and then so I say, well, why? You know, because yeah. I feel like I'm owed an explanation at this point. Yeah. And so I say, why? And they say, well. To be perfectly honest, uh, I'm not allowed a cigarette break uh, in this in this building, so uh, I'm going to savor the aftertaste of my coffee and my cigarette for the rest of my shift. And what the fuck, dude? I have to say, I think that was possibly the most heinous thing I've ever heard somebody admit to uh, under absolutely zero pressure. Uh, just yeah. <laughs> immediately, just like, yeah, no, I just want my mouth to taste like old cigarettes. I, I, yeah, I want that dank taste in my mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also asked that same person the other day if they a question about the way swans look, and there's no, yeah. re, you know, we don't need to go into why we were talking about swans, and they were like, I have no idea what a swan looks like. And I was like, you've never what? seen a swan, and they said, why would I? I don't go outside, and I was like, wow, what what kind of life are you li-? like? I was so Jesus Christ, I, I was don't so, go outside. Yeah, I don't go outside. How do you not know what a swan looks like? Well, so that's the thing. It's like even a picture, but yeah, no, it's like, but I was more taken aback by like the indignation of just like, why, why would I know what one of those looks like? I'm like, yeah, it's not like I asked if you knew what like yeah. an ocelot was. Like, it's yeah. not, you know, that's a swan. That's like a, that's day Pretty one basic shit. animal. You know, you never read the ugly duckling as a kid even, or like, I don't know, you know what a duck looks like? It's pretty close to that, you know, it's yep. like a, it's like a big, pretty duck. I don't know. Anyway. That's fucked. Yeah, but the coffee breath thing, the wanting to preserve coffee cigarette breath was just a wild concept to me. Anyway, everybody yeah. here was probably like that equivalent of this person. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, for sure. I mean, into your head. Yeah, it just must have been like a constant uh, assault on your senses mm-hmm. just living in these fucking nasty cities, especially like Ravenna, which is like a swampy city already. Yeah, isn't Ravenna sort of where Venice is now? Yeah, I think it's nearby, somewhere around there. But yeah, it's like uh, definitely a a watery city. Mm. There's water. Yeah, I'm actually going to look that up because I feel like Ravenna became Venice. Did it? Is Venice Ravenna? (laughs) No, and they're, uh, you know what? They're they're like 100 miles apart. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Ravenna's further south. Okay, never mind. Yeah, it is in the northeast, though, right? Um, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're, and they're similarly built, like on lagoons. Yeah, so I, I guess that's why I thought it was maybe. Yeah. And you can sort it Ravenna, Venice. I don't yeah. know. I thought maybe, but no, I digress. I've I've derailed this episode way too much. Mystery cults. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, your nasty ancient ass walking down the streets of these nasty ancient cities, and you're seeing these temples. Mm-hmm. All right, so. As you, the listener, may have been able to gather from the episodes I do on this podcast, my two favorite periods of history are 20th century and ancient Mediterranean. In particular, in particular for the latter, and also in general, I love to study religious history with uh, ancient Mediterranean religions being my favorite. This was something I really got into in college and something I still love to learn about to this day. So for that reason, I decided to do a series on the ancient mysteries which is a loose grouping of various related and unrelated ancient cults that dotted the Mediterranean landscape during antiquity. The ancient mysteries came in various forms and were centered around all manner of god and goddess. However, these should best be thought of as cults and not religions. 
Adherence to a mystery did not mean one worshipped that god and only that god. So while early Christianity, and especially Gnostic Christianity, had characteristics of the mysteries, these really were religions unto themselves, and thinking of the mystery cults as some precursor to these monotheistic religions is in error. Mm. So many, but not all, of these cults are oriental, or in this context, not from the western world. Many of the cults came from the regions of Persia, Egypt, and Anatolia, which were all part of the Hellenistic world of Alexander. And so they were, uh, they were still from the broader Mediterranean region. Oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, they were still from the Hellenistic world of Alexander, and so while they were often somewhat foreign or strange to those back in Rome or Greece, they were still from the broader Mediterranean region. Mm. So these mystery cults also predate the rise of Rome, although they are generally thought of as occurring in the Roman Empire. The cult of Eleusis, for instance, was growing strong since the 6th century BCE. So in this series of episodes, I will take a look at various mystery cults that populated the ancient world. We will take a look at some of the Greek mysteries, such as the Eleusinian mysteries centered around the goddesses Demeter and Cori. The Eleusinian mysteries were only found at Eleusis, a city in Attica, Greece. We will look at every lecherous little freak's favorite mysteries, the Dionysian or Bacchic mysteries devoted to drinking and having a good-ass time. <laughs> the Bacchic mysteries... Yeah, the Bacchic mysteries could be found in wide varieties all over the Mediterranean. We will look at the cult of Magna Mater, the mother goddess, and her eunuch priests in Asia Minor, which is Anatolia. This cult can be traced back to the Neolithic Epoch, long before the invention of writing. We will take a look at everyone's favorite Egyptian mystery, the cult of Isis and Osiris. A temple of Isis was built quite famously under the reign of Caligula in Rome, and the most extensive surviving text of any mystery cult is about Isis in the Golden Ass of Apuleius. Hell yeah. Yep. Uh, we will, of course, also examine the cult of Mithras, famous among the Roman legions and shrouded in secrecy with its initiates meeting in subterranean caves. All of these, and more, will be discussed. <laughs> Stay tuned. Um, <coughs> yep. Yeah, Mithras is, is one that I'm familiar with. I remember learning about that. Yeah, the Mithraic And then mystery. what's the one that I was thinking of that we'll probably you'll probably do on a later Soul Invictus. That'll probably yeah, be I might a... I might touch on that one in the Mithras episode as well, but Okay. Yeah. Oh, these are all gonna be separate episodes? Uh so not all of them. I'll get into that at the end. Oh okay. But, yeah. Uh, that's cool. I'm excited about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh so much like the secret societies in today's world, you know, you can look at the college campus ones like Yale's infamous skull and bones. Where a bunch of wasps like dig up Geronimo's <laughs> skull and jerk off into it. Or is whatever. that it's something like that, isn't it? Yeah, they do yeah. have Geronimo's skull. The fucking dude. I bet they. You know what? winners ever. If we start a cult, our our initiation is going to be the wet high five, and so it's, <laughs> you just have to go around and high five everybody, and they have something on their hand, but you yeah. don't know like really what it is. And like yeah. obviously, you know, like it'll just be like some custard or something. Like we won't, yeah. but we'll never tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you do it, and but it can, and you, they just feel the splatter of the high five, and it's like, yeah, that's it. Now you're yeah. in. Now All you're in. The splatter. Cam and Evans, uh, sloppy, sloppy boys club. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yep. The sloppy boys club. Yep. Mm-hmm. So much like uh, the skull and bones and the sloppy boys club, the rites and initiations are shrouded in mystery. Initiates must prove themselves, and the rites are generally done at night under the Shroud of Darkness.
So what purpose do the mysteries serve? So for this episode, I'm basically working off of two books. I have Walter Burkert's uh, Ancient Mystery Cults, uh, which is definitely, uh, it's quite an academic book that I wasn't really expecting. Um, but it's, it's really, really good. And this is one that I'm working off a lot for sort of the background on the cults. Then I also have The Ancient Mysteries, uh, which is a source book of sacred texts by Marvin W. Meyer. Ooh. So, uh, Berker, in his book, he says, The mysteries are a form of personal religion depending on a private decision and aiming at some form of salvation through a closeness to the divine. In this understanding, they are a votive practice where one makes vows of personal donation for some earthly transaction with the divine. Individuals join the mystery in order to make a personal donation and receive a reward. Mm. The aspect of mysteries extends even to this day with Protestant Christianity, especially American Protestantism, where you know it's a very uh, transactional relationship, but right, personal yeah. with God. I yeah. mean, and also, and sometimes, especially in like American Protestantism, like really literally transactional. Yeah. You know, where it's just like, hey, like buy this special prayer water. Um, yeah. It's only 50 bucks. Yep. And uh, then pretty much anything you want um, will happen. Yep. You know, and people do it. <laughs> like yeah. people's poor old grannies like send hundreds of dollars to. So, yep. uh, did you hear about this fucking um, uh, the assassination of Shinzo Abe? Yeah, I actually I meant to talk about this in the last episode too. Okay. Yeah, where like it bring the fucking unification church, the yes. goddamn Moonies, the Moonies, and so yeah. here's the thing, uh, and I feel like this is slightly relevant. So like, yeah. just another quick aside, like so for those of you who haven't heard, Shinzo Abe, former prime minister of Japan, longest serving modern prime minister of Japan, um, also unrepentant, uh, like fascist, yeah, like nationalist, Japanese nationalist, uh, 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 who like denies that World the Japanese did war crimes. Yeah, World War Two. World War II atrocity denier and um, yeah. whose grandfather like administered Manchukuo. Right. So just there's a lot there and and <laughs> yeah. whatever. Look him up because p- opinions are very divided about this right now. But Japan yeah. is also like a notoriously conservative country with uh, yeah. a really difficult past with things like fascism. So you know he was pretty popular. But um, the so he was killed. Right. Guy came up behind him while he was doing a political rally for someone else. You know, he's been retired for two years or something, three years, um, but was rallying for someone else. And guy came up behind him with an improvised homemade shotgun and, and blew the back of his neck out. And, uh, you know, he died, whatever. Yeah. And come to find out that this, this, you know, young man who had basically fallen on like completely desperate times had decided to kill Shinzo Abe because Shinzo Abe was, and is sort of loosely connected behind the scenes with the the unification church which is this yeah like, he really spread the unification church a lot through the country right and so this is like this korean movement uh by reverend is it something moon reverend moon whatever and they're called moon moon i believe right something like that i don't yeah. want to guess the wrong thing and then belie like my willingness to just like make up a korean sounding name so well so no sun is he changed his first name to sun like the it sun. was something else but because his last name is really Moon, yeah, and so he like his first name is now Sun. It was something else when he was born, but yeah. I believe it's Sun Moon Moon. Um. So anyway, he's this like super charismatic, uh, or what it was. I don't know. Remember if he's still alive? Yeah, but, he's dead. Uh, who founded this like weird quasi Christian sect uh, in Korea and claimed to be the Messiah, whatever. And they're famous for just like milking their members yeah. for money. And this poor kid's poor mother. Yeah. had like her husband had committed suicide and she ended up giving like like 
almost a million dollars, like her entire life savings and like husband's pension and everything away to this church and left her entire family like destitute. And her son like was forced to like give up his entire education and felt like his entire life had been like stolen from him by this church, which like you can definitely make a case for that. And uh, his mother's life had been stolen. It was just like my entire family was ruined. And so he like saw that Shinzo was going to speak and he like made a gun and fucking killed him. And uh, anyway, all this to say that like that's sort of a modern equivalent of one of these mystery cults. They have these like really esoteric... They're they're different, but anyway. I mean, uh, I I would definitely push back that they're like the the Moonies. I mean, they're, they're, it's not really like as much of a like the mysteries aren't like that. You know what I mean? Like they're they're not like this slush fund for like a particular person. Oh being yeah, controlled. that's not what I meant. I guess I just okay. meant to say that this was like this sort of like shadowy esoteric religious organization with like secret rites and, and yeah. you know what I mean? The money part of it is like a separate thing. Yeah, they're, um, they're not really like milking people like the Moonies were. No, and maybe they were, right? But we don't have uh I don't anyway, we'll get into it. I just thought it was interesting and yeah. so I uh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Shinzo Abe yeah. got his neck shot out, which is pretty wild. By a handmade shotgun. Yeah. And the guy apparently had another one at his house that was even, like, bigger and crazier. Yeah. Yep. No comment. <laughs> it was pretty wild. But, it is um, wild. Yeah. So, anyway. Um, uh, so, uh, seafaring, healing, and the immensely dangerous act of childbirth and rearing were often areas where we see votive acts of personal donation. And warfare is a common subject for the powerful and rich who controlled armies and territory. So votive religion also finds reasons in the uncertainty of change in one's life. If things have been going poorly, changing which mystery one follows may be the impetus one is hoping for uh, uh, to receive a change in outcomes. So the practice of personal initiation is parallel to votive practice in a quest for personal salvation. New forms of mystery cults make sense when understood through this lens of the personal quest to salvation through changes in one's life. Mm. And sometimes mysteries, as they emerge, are really just appendices towards the general movement of the mysteries. There's really kind of like a, you can see this path moving towards something right. when you study the mysteries. So Isis, for instance, is seen as Hygieia, health deified, and the vows to her are often in order to cure some ailment or disease. Sometimes the vow is presented as openly praising the mystery cult, and sometimes as confessing sins prior to salvation. So this, again, is something we see often in cults today, as well as, quote, legitimate religions, and even secret societies when it comes to giving away blackmail, like with the Nexium cult or Scientology. Mm. Hey, listen, Scientology is a, is a legitimate uh, organization, uh, yeah. and, and we have no problems with them, uh, we, mainly because we cannot afford... Their their, legal. their litigious nature. Yeah. They're yeah. fine. So um, yeah, whatever. You just they're they're fine. Yeah, just yeah. <laughs> you guys are fine. Um, for some, like the Dionysiac mysteries, earthly as opposed to spiritual attainment is the goal, including for health and wealth and luck at sea, as evidenced in an extant collection of Orphic hymns. The request for a long and pleasant life is common. Mm. With the Eleusinian mystery. Cicero, this is the Cicero, claims that at Eleusis it is shown how to live in joy and how to die with better hopes. The accent here being on the expectations of life on the other side. With Bacchic mysteries, oftentimes there are depictions in funerary monuments of debaucherous ecstasy as a means of providing some foil to the senselessness of death. 
However, rarely if ever is some Bacchic afterlife paradise depicted, and it is only ever vague if hinted at. So really with these mysteries, you see not a uh, not a uh, focus on the afterlife, mm-hmm. which is often with religions, right? but rather on benefits to this life. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, a theme presents itself. Mysteries meet some practical needs of life, even in death. Realistic cures and immunizations in this life, and, imag- and uh, imaginary guarantees of bliss after death. And of course, paganism often does not have explicit imagery of afterlife resurrection, so while it can be tempting to attribute mystery initiations to this, it is not supported historically. Privileges in the afterlife is not really the goal. Right. It's like, how do I get what I need now? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So another way to look at it is that the goal of mysteries is to invoke magic in this world. Manifest sufferings of those dead, it was believed, could be a cause of suffering in this world. Plato called this some ancient cause of wrath, menima. Some terrible deed of the past has aroused vengeful spirits, murder, improper burial, etc., and someone's ancestors are manifesting the ills in this world that are causing harm. Mm-hmm. Through joyous festivals, the anger and envy of the dead can be assuaged by the living, and the blessing can cure what ails the other side. So one of the most infamous cults is that of Mithras, common among the Roman legions and hailing from Persia. Much about the cult is not known as clear evidence as to exactly what this cult was is lacking. Unlike the major Persian religion in antiquity, which is Zoroastrianism, Mm -hmm. there was no established idea of an ascent of the righteous to heaven. Common burial was practiced within a closed group of believers, or so this is believed, but this is also contradicted by any evidence. In the iconography of the cult, Mithras mounts the chariot of Helios as he circles the globe, but he does not transcend out into the cosmos. It is possible that Mithras is an anti-Gnostic cult, with the cosmos being heroically faced through violence and sacrifice. Julian the Apostate, pagan emperor of Rome who ruled in the Constantinian dynasty as a brief pagan reaction to Christianity in the 4th century CE, was a practitioner of Mithras. Julian is told by Hermes that he has found a, quote, safe anchor in life through Mithras the father, and that when Julian departs from this earth, he, quote, may do this with good hope because you have taken as your leader a god well disposed towards you. Again, with this, we see the focus being as an anchor in this life and departing from this life not being what matters. Right, it's almost like, you know, when you die, you can sort of go in peace and whatever, but, like, that's sort of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, So, how are these cults organized? The makeup of the ancient mysteries is presented in three forms of organization. The itinerant practitioner, which is also known as the charismatic, the clergy attached to a sanctuary, and of the association of worshippers. The charismatic works by himself and can be thought of as a craftsman. The second type, the clergy, is more common in Asia Minor and Egypt than in Greece or Rome. They are just the priestly figures at a sanctuary, and one could imagine the oracles at Delphi. Okay. The third is made up simply of those that follow the mystery. They contribute interest, time, and influence upon the mystery in their own ways. All three types of organization are compatible, but they are also essentially independent. Mm. For the Greek mysteries, we do find the charismatic working within them to spread the cult. For the Bacchic cults, we see the charismatic disappear and reappear over time in the form of the Thiesoi, which are the revelers of Bacchus and usually dependent on a rich founder of the cult, attached to some estate. 
How the cults actually worked, we do not know, outside of some initiation rite that involved iconography depicting, what else, a phallus that was revealed to the initiate. Heck yeah, dude. There's hey, lots of dicks in the ancient world. You want to join my cult? Yeah. Let me uh, reveal my iconography. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Step closer. I'll show you the secrets <laughs> of the ancient mysteries. <laughs> <laughs> it's my it's my fucked up pimply dick. That's, that's my dick. It's my dick. I, I just you see I was my dick? You're looking you. at my dick. All right, I saw you look. I, you're All right, in. you're in the niche. You're yeah, in. You looked at my dick. All right. All right. <laughs> so, worship of Demeter uh, began similarly with the charismatics who spread votive monuments throughout Greece, Asia Minor, and southern Italy. Eventually, however, it would be the clergy that rose to respectability and success within the mysteries of Demeter. It would be right on the Palatine Hill in Rome that Demeter found its heartland. Here could be found the Galli, the eunuch priests of Demeter with their, quote, horrifying performances of ecstatic self-wounding on the Day of Blood, according to Berker. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> so they would, like, they would they would do it to themselves? Uh, Well, they would already be eunuchs, I believe, at this point. Maybe well, so what they, they would they do doing? it to themselves, but then they would just do other self-wounding. Self-mutilation? Yeah. Like, was it just, like, flagellation, or was it, like... I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. God, they it don't go into, into it. it? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure if... I would Ecstatic imagine maybe some flagellation or something, but... Yeah. Yeah, yeah hopefully it's nothing too crazy. Yeah. Because, I mean, think about it. You can't cut off a finger all the time. You've only got yeah. ten. So, it's hopefully it's just, you know, a little yeah. snip-snip here, a little clip-clip there. Here a snip, there a clip. Everywhere, Everywhere a clip-snip. Remember, um, remember hit clips? Yeah. Okay, that's all. <laughs> okay. Uh, so recruitment of the Galli was apparently quite easy, as it was a lucrative and highly sought-after position. Oh, my God. People were just down to cut their dick and balls off. So were these were these complete eunuchs, or were these just testicular eunuchs? Because most eunuchs were just Well, we talked about this in the, Al- in the uh, Alexander episode, that's right? That's true. We did, didn't we? Yeah, so I believe a eunuch is... Oh, I can't remember. Eunuch is just no no balls. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It might also be... I think it might be the dick and balls. Well, it's possible to do both, but... Yeah, because um, that, that's called full emasculation. There's, there are both off. obviously tales of eunuchs that could still yeah. perform. Yeah. You know, because if you don't yeah. have your balls, you can still do the deed. I yeah. mean, granted, it changes your physiology immensely. Yeah. Like, you end up getting really big usually, but also not growing a lot of hair. It's, it's a weird thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I remember in the Alexander episode, there were also instances of dick-only castration, where you would leave the balls. That's got to be really, really tr- tragic. That's a really fucked up way to go Because, I mean, think about that. it. Every time you pee, you would just dribble on your balls. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they would put, like, a little stent in, right? You know, I don't know. Like a little drainage tube. So Really? I think so. Did they have that technology for a tube? Yeah, you just stick it, attach it to the what remains of the urethra inside. Interesting. Now's a great time for a quick aside from a word for our spo- for a word from our sponsors, Doctor Fantastics. Uh, their classic catheters. classic product, flavored catheters, now available in full eunuch uh, penile stints. <laughs> Uh, in all your favorite flavors but in a short more compact size for the dick only eunuch 
yeah. For the discerning for the, uh, ball only unit. For the discerning, uh, yeah. If you've, if you've still got your balls and you don't like dribbling on them when you pee, and yeah. then also you want a snack after you're done. Got um, balls and no dick. <laughs> Hate that classic ball dribble when you pee. Mm-hmm. Try Doctor Fantastic's new ball only unit uh, line of flavored fun, catheters. Fun sized flavored catheters. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the show uh, sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this this show that you did is great. Yeah. Oh, uh, for the Eleusinian mystery, uh, it was decided that it could not spread beyond its original sanctuary, chosen by the goddess herself, as the myth made quite clear. Two families, the Eumolpidae and the Kerikis, cooperated in the hierarchy. The Eumolpids <clears throat> provided the main priest, the Hierophant, while the Kerikis provided the two ranking next in dignity, the Torchbearer and the Herald of the Sacred. Members of both families could perform initiation. The local Basilius, which is king, supervised the mystery while a local Epistai board oversaw the finances. And propaganda dating back to the 4th century BCE could be found as far as Italy, Egypt, and fucking southern Russia. Oh my god. Yeah. Wow. <coughs> yep. This was a popular one. Yeah. Well, it couldn't spread, though. You would have to go to Eleusis. Right. To take part in it. Yeah, yeah. But... Which they, is they actually kind of genius. Yeah. You know, do you think that they built up, like, um, like attractions there? World's, world's biggest ball of yarn? World's biggest Hermes statue. World's biggest uh, penile stint. Yep. World's world's biggest. World's smallest. We, uh, there's a whole there's a whole subcategory that we had. Think about how hard it would be to make the world's smallest anything back then. You know, you didn't yeah. have fine tools. Anyway, yep. it's just I'm just thinking about monetization. Yeah. You know, same as always. Yeah, you got that grind set. Yep. I can't help it. Yeah. To the Greek mysteries. So the first one we'll talk about is the Eleusinian mysteries. Uh, so these are the the mysteries of the grain mother and daughter. This mystery of Demeter and Cory could only be found at Eleusis, which is a town in Attica, a short distance from Athens. 
Attica is the higher part of Greece. Mm -hmm. So you have like the Attica and the Peloponnese uh, Peninsula. Demeter is presented as the mature grain and Cori as the newly planted grain. And the mystery focused on the fertility of grain and harvest. The actual rites involved in the Eleusinian mystery still uh, largely remains a secret, although later Christian authors suggested the rites were frequently sexual in nature. Although this does need to be taken with a grain of salt, as early Christianity had something of an axe to grind with the mysteries of antiquity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're jealous, because, I mean, these cults were all so fucking fun. Yeah. It's like, dude, let's get blasted and have an orgy. Like, yeah. Or, or, and get this, we could all hang out and just pray. And not have sex. And, and, and so when's the orgy? After the prayer? There's no orgy. That's the cool part about Christ. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, the body is, is, is the evil part. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no. And then you feel, you just feel bad about yourself. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yeah, I think I'll hang out with the Bacchics over there. Can I can I do both like with all these other religions? Nope. You, nope. you if you're that's one of us, you, that's it. You you're that's it. One you're done. one of us. One and done. Yep. It's what Jesus would have wanted. Well, then I'm just going to go suck and fuck with those Bacchics over there. <laughs> well, we'll see who wins in the long run. <laughs> yeah. Um so it is possible that these authors were also equating the Eleusinian mysteries with later similar cults like the Alexandrian cult of Demeter and Cori. Mm. So according to Clement of Alexandria, the uh, the initiatory formula for the Eleusinian mystery is, I have fasted. I have drunk the kikion, which is a drink of various ingredients, including barley and water. I have taken from the chest, having done the work. I have placed in the basket, and from the basket, into the chest. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> cool dude hey you want to be in a club yeah yeah okay um don't drink eat, this barley water drink the barley and then take it out of the t- take um out of the chest and put it and then put it in the basket and then from the and then put the basket and then put back it back the in the chest. chest and um you're in there you go good job kick on yeah <laughs> mm. let's drink some more kick on uh, so according to Hippolytus of Rome, the great mystery of the Eleusinians is the cry, Hai Kai, or rain, conceive. That's like, that sounds like Bukaki. <laughs> That's gotta be. Hai Kai. Hai <laughs> Kari, Karai. Hai <laughs> Karai, dude. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah, there you it's go. always making connections. Yeah, bam, it always comes back to Portugal. Uh Oh, speaking point. of which, I've got a bone to pick with you. You made our entire last episode's image like seem like the whole episode was about Portugal. And I get it, but at the same time, people that, that listen to it are going to be like, what the fuck? There's no Portugal in this. There was a little bit of Portugal. Yeah, very little bit. And then the whole image is Portugal. I just put a, yeah, I just put a picture of Portugal in it. Yeah, it's like the whole picture. It's, it's not the whole picture. It's a lot of it is Portugal. The, like, not even a third of it is Portugal. A lot of it is Portugal. It, Not really, know, none of it should have been Portugal, I guess is my point. All of it should have been Portugal. I should have just put Vasco da Gama there and been done with it. But he wasn't... Mm, okay. <laughs> Alright, so... Haikai, or rain, conceive. In this way, the call was for the sky to emit rain and impregnate the earth so that it may become fruitful, with the male partner in this act being the father Zeus and the female partner being either the mother Demeter or the daughter Cori. Hmm. There is also the depiction of Zeus as a bull who has sex with Demeter to produce Cory, and then Zeus, lecherous freak that he is, 
as a serpent then has sex with his daughter Cory to produce the bull-like Dionysus. Mm. Tauros Dracontos Kaipato Toro Dracon. The bull is father of the serpent, and the serpent father of the bull. The cool. initiates in this cult became known as Apopti. The Homeric Hymn to Demeter, written around the 7th century BCE, is the central extant text to the Eleusinian Mysteries and was written prior to Athens assuming control of the mysteries. This hymn proclaims in mythic form the history of the life cycle of grain that grows with youthful vigor before becoming the harvest of death. <laughs> Cory's yearly sojourn in the underworld for four months is roughly equivalent to the uh, four months the grain fields in Greece lie barren after the June harvest, but before the October planting. The Greeks would store the harvest grain underground during the summer months before carrying it back out to the fields in the autumn for the next sowing. However, the grain sown into the fields undergoes an ascent into the realm of life as the seed put into the ground sprouts as the next crop, from death back to life, and Cori rejoining her mother Demeter. And then Zeus turns into a pelican, and he has sex with them both at the same time. <laughs> and then... <laughs> uh, so Herodotus, a 5th century BCE Greek historian, would describe a procession of the cult in his history. Born in Halicarnassus in Asia Minor, Herodotus is considered one of the fathers of the study of history. I'll read from a passage from his history about the procession of Iacchus in the Eleusinian Mysteries along the Sacred Way from Athens to Eleusis as the initiates donned their ritual garb and uttered the cry of Iacchus uh, in joy along the way. Dude, history is so fucking silly. I know. <laughs> Dude, the ritual garb along the sacred way. I'm ready. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. There was a story which used to be told by Decaeus, the son of the uh, Theocides, an Athenian exile who had made a name for himself in Persia. After the evacuation of Attica, when the Persian troops were devastating the countryside, this, her this person happened to be in the plain of Thria with Demaratus the Spartan. Mm. Noticing a cloud of dust, such as might have been raised by an army of 30,000 men on the march, coming from the direction of Eleusis, they were wondering what troops they could be when they suddenly heard the sound of voices. Decaeus thought he recognized the Yaka song, which is sung at the mysteries, but Demaritus, who was unfamiliar with the religious ceremonial of Eleusis, asked his companion whose voices they were. Sir, Decaeus answered. Without any doubt, some dreadful disaster is about to happen to the king's army. There is not a man left in Attica, so the voice we heard must clearly be not of this world. It is a divine voice coming from Eleusis to bring help to the Athenians and their friends. If it descends upon the Peloponnese, there will be danger for the king and for his army. If it moves towards the ships at Salamis, Xerxes may well lose his fleet. Every year the Athenians celebrate a festival in honor of the mother and the maid. And anyone who wishes, from Athens or elsewhere, may be initiated in the mysteries. The sound you heard was the Yakus song, which is always sung at that festival. Do not breathe a word of this to anybody, said Demaratus. If it should reach the ears of the king, you would lose your head, and neither I nor anyone else in the world could save you. So hold your tongue, the gods will see to the king's army. While Demaratus was speaking, the cloud of dust, from which the mysterious voice had issued, rose high into the air and drifted away towards Salamis, where the Greek fleet was stationed. 
By this, the two men knew that the naval power of Xerxes was destined to be destroyed. Such was Decay's story, and he used to appeal to Demaratus and others to witness the truth of it. Dang. Yep. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> ritual <All> garb. Right. <laughs> yeah, the ritual garb. All right. Now, let's talk about the Andanian mysteries of Mycenae. Andania was an ancient town in the Mycenae region of the Peloponnesus. So this is the region of Greece where Sparta is located. Mm-hmm. The traveler and geographer Pausanias describes the Andanian mysteries as being second only to the Eleusinian in sanctity. These mysteries waxed and waned during the warfare that ravaged the region for centuries, but was reinstated in 369 BCE when the Theban general Epimonon, uh, uh, Epan, oh God, I always struggle with this one, Epaminondas, 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 yep, fought the Spartans and instituted Mycenaean or Mycenaean independence. It was again reinstated in 92 to 91 BCE, once the Romans took control of the region. For more info on this, you can check out episode 49, Facts Don't Care About Your Phalanx, The Roman Macedonian Wars. Great episode, great episode. Yep. Our, uh, our good friend uh, Evan did that episode, and uh, yep. we thank him very much, because that, that was a really good one. Yep, thank you, Evan. Yep. So, the existing information on these mysteries is limited, but what is known is from Pausanias, who lived during the 2nd century CE, along with an earlier ancient work known as the Andanian Rule. He mentions the Carnassian Cypress Grove as being the site of Andanian worship of several gods, including Apollo, Carneos, Hermes, Hagna, and the great goddesses. Pausanias understands Hagna, pure one, to be a title for Cori and thus may imply some sort of Athenian influence. The Andanian rule mentions the same Cypress Grove as the site of worship, but gives the gods as Demeter, Hermes, Apollo, Carneus, and Hagna, spelled slightly differently from Pausanias. And the great gods. This Hagna is said to be the ancient name of a spring or fountain, and so this might be some water nymph. Mm. Now, I would like to read from Pausanias's description of Greece with his writings on the Andanian mysteries. So when he says the great goddesses, he is likely referring to Demeter and Cori, and he is equating this with Hagna. He does not mention the great gods, which exactly who those gods are is a matter of some considerable debate. And it's largely outside the scope of this episode. Maybe I'll revisit that in the future. Okay. Right. At the Arcadian Gate leading to Megalopolis is a Herm of Attic style. For that square form of Herm is Athenian, and the rest adopted it thence. After a descent of 30 stades from the gate is the watercourse of Balaira. The river is said to have got its name from Thamaris throwing Balain, his leer away here after his blinding. He was the son of Philemon and the nymph Argiope, once dwelt on uh, Parnassus, but settled among the Odrisae when pregnant, for Philemon refused to take her into his house. Thamaris is called an Odrysian and Thracian on these grounds. The watercourses Lucasia and Amphitos unite to form one stream. When these are crossed, there is a plain called the Plain of Staniclerus. Staniclerus was a hero, it is said. Facing the plain is a site anciently called Ochalia, uh, or Echalia, in our time the Carnassian Grove, thickly grown with cypresses. These are statues of the gods Apollo Carneos and Hagna, also Hermes, carrying a ram. Hagna is the title of Cori, the daughter of Demeter. Water rises from a spring close to the statue. 
I may not reveal the rites of the great goddesses, for it is their mysteries which they celebrate in the Carnassian Grove, and I regard them as second only to the Eleusinian in sanctity. But my dream did not prevent me from making known to all that the brazen urn, discovered by the Argive general, and the bones of Eurytus, the son of Melanius, were kept there. A river Chirogerus flows past the grove, about eight stades along the road to the left are the ruins of Andania. The guides agree that the city got its name from a woman, Andania, but I can say nothing as to her parents or her husband. On the road from Andania towards uh, uh, Cyperaceae is Polichni, as it is called, in the streams of Electra and Seus. The names perhaps are to be connected with Electra, the daughter of Atlas, and Seus, the father of Leto, or Electra and Seus, maybe, two local heroes. There you go. Yep. Hmm. Dude, oh. I'm gonna be honest with you. That was really. I'm gonna have to listen back to this episode. <laughs> that's that. Is that that's from the more academic one? No, no. This well, this that's uh, this is from uh, like old one. So that's Pausanias's description of Greece. Okay. Yeah. It's <laughs> a right. lot of Greek words in there. Yeah, man. I'm yeah. I don't know what the <laughs> fuck. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> All right. So. Those are the Indian mysteries. Okay. Not unknown about them. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So <laughs> they now are let's mysterious. To, yeah. So now let's get to the Dionysian mysteries. These are the fun ones. Yeah. This is where so, the, the real fuck shit starts going. Yeah. On. This is yeah. This is where the fucking and sucking like freaks happen. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so the Greek god Dionysus, often referred to by his Roman name Bacchus. Uh, which I use interchangeably throughout this episode. Uh, I tend to use the term Bacchus or Bacchic Mysteries as personal preference. Mm -hmm. But since it is a Greek cult and we're talking about the Greeks, I'll use the Greek name Dionysus here. Okay. Uh, So Dionysus is a god with a whole litany of manifestations and whose worship was incredibly diverse. So likely originating in Thrace, although with connections to Phrygia and also Crete, Dionysus is often depicted as a bull, the pure form of animal maleness. <laughs> Although he also can be depicted more femininely with fair scare, with fair skin and curly hair. Mm. The followers of Dionysus would often roam the forest and mountains clothed in fawn skins and wielding thirsty, which are these long shafts topped with ice, uh, topped with like uh, vine leaves. What, what icy? What, 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 what did I mean to write there? Long shafts topped. Oh, ivy, probably. Ivy, yep, there is, yeah. <laughs> Top of icy vine leaves. Yeah, ice, yeah, so ivy or vine leaves. There we go. Uh, so this staff being the symbol of Dionysus. His presence was acknowledged in the raw flesh of wild beasts, in the goblet of <laughs> right, wine. me too. And as the, get this, phallus concealed in the lignon, a winnowing basket that could be used as a cradle for a baby. So you're like, oh, let me see your cute baby. Oh, let me see that cute baby. It's just your dick. (laughs) Dude, that's hysterical. (laughs) Dionysus, you're a funny guy. Yeah. uh, And it was uh, also acknowledged in the immortal human soul. Mm -hmm. So Dionysus' presence would naturally be felt in moments of ecstasy, inebriation, in sexuality, and in spiritual bliss. A person in these states became one with Dionysus. And could themselves be called Baki in the feminine or Bakos <laughs> in the masculine. As is the case with many of these mysteries, not much is known about what actually went on during rites and rituals. But for Dionysus, it's likely that they involved eating and drinking. As portrayed in the Euripidean play The Baki, 
an archaic and savage, here I mean savage simply as under-pre-civilized. Mm-hmm. I'm not really passing any judgment about the context, uh, about the content, so not savage in the way that, say, Cortez would describe the Aztecs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, in these archaic and savage depictions, as adherents tearing animals to pieces with their bare hands and eating the flesh raw as a means to assimilate the Dionysian power embodied within the animal. In a more tame portrayal, the Iobakoi in Athens would simply have a banquet meal in supplication to Dionysus. Mm -hmm. The holy drinks that initiates would consume in Dionysian rites or ordinarily wine and sexual practices would have been found at some of these Dionysian rituals and celebrations. So in Pompeii, a house called the Villa of the Mysteries, Villa Item, contains a wall painting that displays important evidence for sexual practices in these mysteries. Ten enigmatic scenes are displayed on the walls of a room in the villa that show Dionysian motifs, though their interpretation is unclear. So we're going to hear about these sexual depictions? Yep. Cool. Is there buggery? You'll hear. Okay. A nude boy reads a papyrus scroll as two mature women assist. Oh. (laughs) A young woman, apparently pregnant, carries a tray toward three other women whose position around a table obscures their activity. Oh. A Silenus, an old spirit of the wild, plays the leer while staring in rapture at the central scene in the series described in number six. A satyr, young goat man of the wild, <laughs> plays a syrinx, which is a panpipe, and a satyrist nurses a goat. A frightened woman flees, perhaps from the flagellation scene described in number eight. A Silenus and a satyr hold a bowl and a Silenus mask so that another satyr looking for his reflection in the concave bowl, instead we'll see the likeness of a Silenus. The centerpiece of the series, this scene, partially damaged, shows Dionysus reclining voluptuously across the lap of a seated woman, most likely his beloved Ariadne, Thyrsus, falls across his body. A woman is about to reveal the phallus covered in the lignon, and a winged female figure threatens with a whip. A woman bows for the flagellation. Another, nearly nude, whirls in dance and plays cymbals. A third holds a thyrsus. A young woman prepares herself, apparently for a wedding. And the matron of the house, uh, and the matron of the house or of the mysteries, oversees the preparations depicted in the scenes. Wow, yeah, those are all very vague. Yeah. There's so no, there's no buggery. Yeah. So no matter the interpretation of these scenes, it is clear they focus on the mysteries of Dionysus as the mysteries of sexuality and the attendant joys and pains of love and sexuality are the culminating experience of the Dionysian power. Of the Orphic mysteries of Dionysus, more is known. These were named after their founder Orpheus, whose myths depict him as a Thracian singer who tried to liberate his departed Eurydice from death and who was torn to pieces by Bacchantes. Mm. a woman maddened by Dionysus. The Orphics laid claim to Dionysus, but did so rather strangely. For the Orphics, omophagia, the consumption of raw meat, was a grand sin, an original transgression. The myth of Dionysus Zagreus was recounted to show the enormity of the sin of the consumption of raw meat, as it was uh, the evil titans who consumed Dionysus. Zeus then incinerated the titans for this wicked act, but humans were created from the ashes and are themselves bipartite, being of Titanic and Dionysian nature. 
the fleshly body and the immortal soul, respectively. While the Dionysian soul is trapped in a titanic body, it may be delivered from its shackles by a life devoted to purity, and thus can realize its true Dionysian form. Now I personally see here many parallels for Gnostic Christianity, with humans being made of a soul imprisoned in fleshly bodies by an evil demiurge, and that in death the soul can escape from the flesh prison and ascend to a higher realm of being. Mm. And really, I find a lot of early religion very fascinating when you start to analyze why an ancient person would believe something. This Orphic myth, I would guess, has some origins in, in how unsafe the consumption of raw meat, and uh, uh, how unsafe the consumption of raw meat is, how in inherently unsafe it is. I see the same thing in Leviticus about not eating shellfish. Mm -hmm. Likely, some origins of people having an allergy to shellfish. Right, like, and you like don't with really pig, pig meat being unclean because you get yeah. trichinosis, you know. Yeah, exactly. So the reason that you're not supposed to consume things like this, you know, they see people get sick from it and they think it must be some affliction. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So this is part one of a short series I will be doing on the mysteries of antiquity. We went over the Greek mysteries here and after going uh, here after going through the anatomy of the mystery cults. In the episodes ahead, I will discuss some of the Anatolian and Egyptian mysteries before finishing off with the shadowy Mithraic mysteries of the Roman legions. I imagine there will be two more episodes in the set, but who knows? Hmm. Yeah, sometimes we get a little carried away and things things yeah. just take on a life of their own. There could be fifteen. There could be thirty-five episodes. It could be the, the rest of the podcast. That could be all that we do. I might just yep. stop doing episodes, and Evan can just just go and go and go and go. It'll just be awesome, dude. It'll just go, dude. Yep. Forever, dude. Back and forth forever. All right, so, anyway. <laughs> yeah, anyway. There's part one. That was part one. That was great. Yep. A, lot of, a lot of these mysteries are, are super, like, <laughs> they're just weird, man. And I, I just yep. think, like... I don't know. I, I, I have a hard time putting myself in their shoes. Uh, I just feel like being a member of any of these groups would give me such anxiety. Yeah. You know? Would you yeah. be... Do you think you'd be in a mystery cult? I mean, probably. What else I guess that's true. Do? You kind of... Yeah, you kind of are... This is definitely your bag. This is like yeah. your sort of thing. You yeah. know? And then you just like wouldn't tell anybody about it. Yeah, it would be you some know? secret initiate. You love, you love having like a, like a secret... 
Evan loves having a secret. Yeah, I love secrets. That he can't share with anyone under pain yeah. of death. Yes. Yeah. Hey, yeah, little little do we know that once a month Evan gets together with his buddies and uh yeah, they all they all they all fuck each other under the full moon and uh Yeah, fucking suck each other under the <laughs> full just, moon while go. we sacrifice uh, uh, cassowary. Yeah, yeah, which is hard to find and to kill. Yeah, um, and especially once a month. It's yeah, an expensive habit. So, yep. Hopefully, it yeah, tethers the hunt him. Is in this. part of it. All of us, we have to tackle the cassowary <laughs> and take it down. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, to grave injury to ourselves. Yeah, it's right. Yeah, membership in the group doesn't last long. Yeah, no. Yeah, short lifespan, <laughs> but worth it. Yeah, it's very cool. It's very, very neat and cool. It's nice to have something to do once a month. Yeah, so. absolutely. Just an excuse to get together with your friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, anything anything to get together with the boys, right? Yeah. I mean, that's basically what this show is. I so. got my boys. I got my blood rights. What more could I want? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right. Well, yeah, I, I look forward to hearing uh, more about Anatolia and Egypt and Mithras. And yep. yeah, maybe you said maybe you'll touch on Sol Invictus. Maybe, yeah. That'd be fun. Yep. Um, we should talk about Elagabalus. The emperor? Yeah. Wasn't he a... He was a, a, a priest of some eastern cult. Maybe. Oh, well, Helios, probably. Was it? I thought it was... that's why Heliogabalus... No, no, no. It was, it was... He was called Elagabalus because that was the cult. It was something... The name is derived from the... the yeah, Heliogabalus, maybe. Yeah, maybe. maybe yeah, maybe Helios, started. yeah. Anyway. Um, cool. All right. Well, thanks, Evan. Yep, that was really good. I know you put a lot of work into this. This is a, this is a big project. Yes, a lot of dense and indecipherable material. Yeah, I mean it's funny. I've got small books for it, but yeah, that Burkert book is like it's a hundred pages, but then there's like a hundred fifty pages of endnotes. Right. Because yeah, like when, one of the I read like a ten page chapter, and there was literally seventy five notes in it. Yeah, when your when your <laughs> source material is longer than the book that you wrote, that's that's <laughs> something. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, so anyway, uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Um, you know, uh, do the same thing as usual. Please tell people about us. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Rate, review. Uh, we did have a, a listener uh, review us saying that they're concerned that we were uh, promoting a crypto-homo agenda. Uh, it looks like you're on to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess now we can be overtly gay. Yeah, we don't as, have to. Is that, what to that, is that what he was trying to say? I thought it was, <laughs> I was... I wasn't sure if it was either that or if it was that... They they thought that we were trying to subvert people into enjoying crypto currencies, and that he considers those people to be someone that he would use the pejorative term uh, "homo" to describe. No, I I think I think it's just somebody being funny, but yeah, I think so too. I'm sure we probably know who it is. Um, anyway, if you're out there, thank you. We liked that one; it was good. Yeah, we laughed pretty hard at that yeah. one. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, uh, thanks for tuning in. On uh, uh, if we don't have anything else to put in. I guess we'll see you next time. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's really no other option. I'm not going to yep. sit here and chat with you all day. Yep. So you got to work. I do actually have to go to work. Um, all right, guys. Yeah, this should probably be out. It might be out a little later than probably normal. tomorrow. Be out on, a, on the Tuesday instead of the Monday. Um, yeah. So keep your eyes peeled for that. And we'll see you well, all soon. Well, actually, well, I don't know why you're going to tell them at the end of the episode when the episode's going to be out. Yeah, I don't know. Who gives a shit? <laughs> I don't fucking care. Um, so I guess, I guess we'll revise and I'll say, sorry, this one was a little late. Yeah, that's all. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Bye. Bye.